the Beatitudes to me are kind of like a fortress. Uh, sometimes you really can't like find, you, you can't even enter the door. Uh, you just read through the Beatitudes and you're just thinking, this is impenetrable. I have no idea how to interpret this. Other times you go in and maybe you go into one of the rooms and you're like, I can see how this Beatitude works. But I, I really want to emphasize here the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 um, are, are <laughs> you'll contemplate them for the rest of your life and they'll never fully be understandable. They're They're so short. They're so precise. They're so communicating something but it's it's uh, anyways it's you know this isn't like um like my my episode on the Lazarus theory where I can spin together some theory that I think people are kind of missing about uh the gospel this is this is Jesus giving the gospel this is Jesus giving the new law of the new testament in a way that's just straightforward exactly what he means um so I want to get to that in Matthew 5 this is Matthew 5 verse 3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are mourning, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those being persecuted on account of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, you, they, blessed are you when they shall insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, lying because of me. Rejoice and exult, for the reward of you is great in heaven. For thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, a few notes of context I just want to throw out there. Um, in Matthew 4, just previous to this, we have this kind of like uh, intro to the whole Sermon on the Mount, you could call it. Um, and Jesus was going all throughout Galilee. This is in Matthew 4, verse 23. Jesus was going through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel is euangelion, which is the good news. Eu is good and Agalo is message, the good message of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news of him went all throughout uh, that land, Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, having various diseases and pains, oppressing and being possessed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, which means the 10 cities, and Jerusalem. And Judea and beyond the Jordan. So these great crowds are all following him. And then we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, which stretches all the way to Matthew 8. Having seen the crowds, he went up on the mountain and having sat down, he came to him. All the disciples came to him and opening his mouth, he taught them saying, and then we have the Beatitudes. He leads it off with the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes are, man, are they intense. And like I said, they're kind of a fortress and you know, one of the things that happens in Matthew's gospel is the Sermon on the Mount is the time when Jesus is most open about his preaching. He's giving the new law. Everything's in his favor. Later on, when the Pharisees come in, there's a shift. We'll notice the shift later on where he switches to parables. 
and I don't want to give too much of an intro to parables now because we're not dealing with a parable here with the Sermon on the Mount, but the parable isn't just, hey, I'm telling nice stories so you know everyone can understand because everyone likes a nice story, right? No, it's actually telling stories because um, you know to you it's been known to know the kingdoms of heaven, but not to them. The stories are meant to hide the truth of the gospel from those who aren't ready to receive it, those who are rejecting Christ, and to communicate some truth to those who are receiving Christ. And they become a lot more fun because it's like there's an antagonist. Here, I think when we read blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the morning, blessed are the meek, it's it's very kind of weak. You, you basically are just like, whatever, you know, it, it doesn't seem to have much weight behind it. Um, And... <laughs> And it's difficult, but that, you know, a lot of uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount can, you know, be easily kind of like it fades into the background. But what I want to what I want to communicate here with this commentary on the Beatitudes as an intro to this kind of Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount uh, as it's called, is what Jesus is doing is quite revolutionary. Um. So Martin Luther, in his interpretations of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he said that what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount, with Matthew 5 onwards, is basically showing something that is utterly impossible. Here is what you should be doing, and you are completely unable to do this. He's basically humiliating people. That's that's the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount for Martin Luther. So stuff like, you are the light of the world— you know, concerning anger in Matthew uh, 5, verse 21, you've heard it said to men of old, you shall not kill. Uh, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. And whoever says you fool shall be liable to the Gehenna of fire. Like what? You know, you have heard it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully in his heart has already committed adultery. You know, whoever divorces his wife, you can't divorce anymore. Concerning oaths, you know, I say to you, let your yes be yes and your no be yo. no. Uh, and don't swear by anything. You know, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist one who is evil. And if one would sue you for your cloak, let him have your other, you know, for your coat, let him have your cloak as well. You know, it was said of old, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it just goes on. And I, I think you can understand what Luther's talking about. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is giving. Oh, my goodness. Like, if we if we take it seriously, this, it's so good in the sense that, like, what he's doing here is showing the good that we should be striving for. And for Luther, it's impossible. No one's ever able to do this. And so what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is basically saying, okay, now that I've basically shown you what the law really is, well, of course you can't do it. And so I'm here to free you from all of the law and all of doing good. And all you need to do is just assent to me and to my cross, and I'll free you from all of this, from your evil conscience. Well, Luther is reading his evil conscience into the Sermon on the Mount. What I what what really the Sermon on the Mount is communicating is what it looks like to live in the peace of Christ. That when we receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, we actually can live what the Beatitudes and what the Sermon on the Mount is trying to communicate to us. That the peace that Christ communicates to us is the peace of living the Beatitudes. Yes, we'll never live them perfectly here on earth, but you can look at the saints and look at the church in the past and the church now and say, 
wow, they're actually living this out. We're actually striving to live poverty of spirit, mourning, meek, hunger, and thirst for righteousness, be merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. The Catholic response to the Sermon on the Mount is that what Jesus is communicating here in this new law that he's giving, Matthew 5 through 7, and giving it very plainly and straightforward, is we can actually live that through the grace that God gives us. We're not like Luther and the Lutherans who think that this is impossible to live. We actually believe that we can live this out. So that's my intro to it. Let's actually get to the Beatitudes themselves. So first, this idea of blessed. I mean, imagine, you know, blessed are you who mourn. You know, it's just like, uh, what are you talking about? What type of blessedness is this? So let's start out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So tokoi toi numatai, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we have this introduction of the kingdom of heaven. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. What I want to do is basically say that what Jesus is saying here is these blessedness is once you are baptized and you're living life in the spirit, all these things become understandable. So if you're poor in spirit, you basically first, you realize your deprivation of the divine life that's within you through original sin, through original death, as Paul talks about in Romans 5, that the way to understand original sin is not as um, <laughs> it's not as a stain on the soul that we're trying to like wash away like really, really hard. It's not like Lady of Macbeth who's trying to like wash her hands of all the blood. You know, we're and and so we're not looking at Christ with this guilty Lady Macbeth conscience trying to wipe the sin away. It's looking at Christ and saying, I'm poor in spirit. I don't have the spirit, the fullness of the spirit within me. So I'm blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you recognize your utter need for Christ and for the spirit to live in you, for God's life to be in you as a son and a daughter, then what that allows you is to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the first beatitude is an entry into the blessedness that you possess as a Christian. And this blessedness, this life in the spirit is not just for the next life. The kingdom of heaven is something that is here on earth, right? Through the church. And we're going to get to this with all the parables of the kingdom. You know, the kingdom is like a mustard seed that grows into the greatest of shrubs. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl uh, hidden in, you know, uh, a pearl of great price. The, the kingdom of heaven may be likened to, you know, the wheat and the weeds. Like all these images are not otherworldly images. They're this worldly images. As I'll try and, you know, show later on, the kingdom of heaven happens here on earth. And you can be blessed, not just in the next life, but now living in Christ and living in the spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's your entryway in to the kingdom of heaven. And notice if you go to like, like let's first, for example, John 3 with Nicodemus. What Nicodemus is not is poor in spirit. What Jesus is trying to do in John 3 is humble Nicodemus and show him how he is. He needs, unless you're born of water and spirit, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, right? These images get brought up by Christ over and over again. Blessed are the poor in spirit that this poverty of spirit that you need Christ and you need the Holy Spirit, that's your entryway for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are mourning for they will be comforted. The word for comforted is parakle thesotai. It's a big word. It's in the future third person uh, plural. So parakale thesontai, it's a big word, but 
uh, kaleo means like call or uh, a parakaleo is the word for the paraclete, which often gets used for the Holy Spirit. So blessed are those who are mourning for they will be parakaleontai means they will be, they'll be comforted, but it also has this image of the spirit. Those who are mourning, they will be comforted. They will receive the paraclete that they are looking for which is this advocate for themselves. They're mourning their present condition of sinfulness, but with the paraclete, with the paracle thonsentai, big word, all it means is it's a, a paracleos is, is the one who's the advocate. It's used in legal terms. So a paracleo would be an advocate, like an attorney, for example. So, you know, what is Satan but the great deceiver, but he's also the accuser oftentimes. And he's the accuser for good reason in the Old Testament because Obviously, with all of us, what Satan does is he accuses us of the sins that we've committed. And so what the Spirit does as parakaleo is advocate for us. He's our advocate, right? The parakaleo. And we'll see this in John's gospel, that it plays such a, a prominent role. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be parakaleontai. I've messed that word up like 10 times. I don't speak Greek. I can read it a little bit. <laughs> but the idea is... Um, if you're poor in spirit and you're mourning, you receive the kingdom of heaven and you'll be comforted with that paraclete. Makaroi hoi praesis. So blessed are, the, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay. Meek does not mean weak. I'm sure you've heard this before, but meek does not mean weak. Meek is an admixture of basically strength and knowing when to use your when to use the sword. So in Numbers, uh, I believe it's Numbers 12, we have Moses being called the meekest man who ever lived. He certainly wasn't the weakest man who ever lived. <laughs> he uh, delivered judgment on the idolaters before the golden calf. Um, David is also seen as being meek. And so what meekness means, uh, it's been described to me once as having a sword and knowing when to sheathe that sword, knowing when to put it back in its place. Um, and so if you're a meek, you use the gifts that God's given you. You use the strength and the the power and the prestige, um, but you use it according to God's plan. So blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, right? So if you're poor in spirit, you receive the kingdom of heaven. If you're mourning, you get receive the Holy Spirit and you're comforted. Blessed are the meek. And so now that you've entered the kingdom, You've been comforted. If you're meek with what's been given to you, you'll inherit the earth, that God is going to bless you in that. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the fourth one, for they shall be satisfied. And the word here is korta sontai. Very long word. All it means uh, to, to very much for they will be filled is basically to fatten is one of the words, to fill, to satisfy, to fill all the way. Um it's also used for, you know, uh, the multiplication of the loaves. All of them ate and were satisfied. Um, so the word has a, a from koratos to fodder, meaning generally, or to gorge, basically to supply food in abundance. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled into abundance and overfilled. You know, like 
you think of the image, um, blessed are those, uh, you know, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it'll be poured into their lap and overflowing. So the word here is not like, oh, you're going to be satisfied. Like you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay. You're going to be appeased. It's far less of appeased and you'll be overwhelmingly satisfied. So if you're hungering for righteousness, for dikaiosune, this this idea of justice, if you're thirsting for it, if you're hungering for it, you will be chorus then ton tai. I also think there's definitely this idea. So you have uh, blessed are those hungering, uh, penontes and dipsontes. If you're hungering and you're thirsting for dikaiosune, you will be filled and like it has gorged this image of being filled with a food. I think there's Eucharistic imagery here, that if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're going to be filled with abundance with he who is the righteous one, with Christ himself in the Eucharist. My own little gloss of this. So then we have the fifth one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, And this, you know, corresponds definitely with the Our Father prayer. You can see how the Beatitudes have just so many application all over the Gospels. They're kind of these like mega categories that you can go back to the Beatitudes and say, yeah, I can see how this Beatitude fits here. I can see how this Beatitude fits here. I can see how, but they're they're unified, in my opinion, with this idea of the grace and the peace that Christ gives allows for all these things to be possible. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So those, yeah, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't think I need to say more than that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called weotheu, sons of God. Blessed are those having been persecuted on the account of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we start with theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and we end with theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So theirs is the kingdom of heaven is like you inherit the glory of the whole kingdom by being poor in spirit and coming to Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. Likewise, when you reach the end of your journey and you've been you've been persecuted on, on account of righteousness, yours also is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus doubles down on it. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, lying on my account. Karate kai agaliaste. Rejoice, karate is like greatly, exceedingly joy, and exult. Agaliste is like, like proclaim it to the rooftops, exult. For your reward is great in the heavens. For thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this last part, blessed are you when they insult you, is like this this uh, doubling down on being persecuted. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think my, uh, my mentor, Dr. Han, said it pretty well when he said like, yeah, if you need that type of blessing, who needs a curse, you know? Like, <laughs> blessed are you when they shall insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you, lie on account of you, rejoice and greatly exult. I mean, give me a break, you know, like all this other stuff, you know, I was kind of following, you know, blessed are they mourning, you're going to get a comfort, blessed are, you know, but when you get to the blessed are you when you get persecuted, it's like, wow. I mean, this is a total overturning of the old order. I mean, this is like a, it explodes and, and this is what the gospel does, is that once you're living life in the spirit, it doesn't mean that you reject the flesh. It's far from it. You embrace it more than you did as a, as a non-believer. You know, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You still have to use your, your earthly bread, like, and God's going to provide for your earthly bread. But 
you know, we have all these situations where the world, you know, is passing away in the form of this world, as Paul says, and the opposition to the Christians is going to be enormous. It's going to be very pronounced. It's, and even in Christ's own life, they're going to seek to put him to death and ultimately put him to death. But what Christianity does is it shows that the death of the body is not the final say, that what Christ's sacrifice does is it conquers sin and death. And so even if they insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you, lie on your account, you should rejoice and be greatly, and exalt greatly. And, you know, you, you think about the great martyrs of the church, especially the Roman martyrs, where, so you have, for example, St. Polycarp, um, when the uh, Roman procurator is, is putting him to death and he says, renounce your, your ways and say, and renounce the Christians. And they called him, they called the Christians atheists back in the day and, and back in the day, back in the Roman times. And instead of saying to the Christians away with the atheists, he looked at all the crowd, pointed at all the crowd and said away with the atheists, right? It's like um, Augustine had this phrase and I've only found it like once in Augustine and I don't really know how to take it, but it's it's the idea of victorious delight that in a certain sense, when the saints know they are doing the will of God perfectly and they're being persecuted, they have a victorious delight in the punishments that they're receiving from the uh, their enemies. Um, they rejoice that they're allowed to suffer on behalf of Christ. And it's not because they there's some masochistic thing, but they, they rejoice and greatly exalt as in verse 12. This is the destruction of, this is how you destroy the evil of the world. I mean, the empires of the world and the evil thereof, the structures of sin can, can do the most they can do to the, the most they can do to you is, is torture you and kill you. I mean that, and, and because of fear of torture and death, they can compel action. Uh, so the idea is, look, if this world is all there is, then if you extend the idea of torture and death universally, then you can cower everyone in fear and control them. And, you know, kind of a dystopian 1984 style thing is, um, you know, the the end of the story, obviously, to spoiler alert, is, you know, the rats eat his face off and he finally tells on everyone and now he loves Big Brother and the idea is like, look, if there's no Christianity and there's no next life and there's no blessedness and there's no life in the spirit and this body's all there is and you die and you're dead, then the extension of the structures of sin can be total and supreme. So fear of death becomes that which brings death into the world in, in a certain sense that you fear, the fear of death is like the root, you know, uh, you can then cower everyone in submission of violence. What Christianity does is it rejoices and exalts in the face of persecution. That's like the that's the overturning of empires. That's how they overturn the the Roman Empire. You know, like more and more people saw this greatly rejoicing Christians who even were not even af- afraid of death. And and it's like, what do you do? Do you kill them all? Even if you kill them all, it's going to spread. You know, Tertullian had this phrase where the blood of the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith. And so, yeah, if they, you know, because they kept killing Christians, the Roman Empire, and then the Roman Empire converted. So witnessing even unto death, blessed are they, blessed are you when they shall insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you, lying on my account, rejoice and exalt for your reward is great in the heavens, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think 
Luther's position on this is totally untenable. Jesus is not doing this whole Sermon on the Mount thing to humiliate man and say none of this is possible. What Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes really represent is the glory of being a Christian <laughs> and that the conquering of sin and death that what Christ is saying here is is not, uh, it's not, <laughs> it is in one one respect, an, uh, you know, an impenetrable fortress where we're trying to break in and figure these things out, but we're living it. When we receive baptism or receive the spirit, the Beatitudes start to make sense in our lives. They start to become understandable. They start to... Um, they, they they start to without I think without actually living life in the spirit they become these kind of dead letters where you're like what in the world is Christ saying but I think living life in the spirit and living life in the church and reading the lives of the saints gives you that fire and that zeal to say yeah blessed are they when you persecute you Rezo- rejoice and greatly exalt for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets before you this is the victorious delight of Christians even in the face of the greatest persecution. So that's the Beatitudes. I didn't think I could comment on it. It's like too intense. Um, it's so short, but it's so intense. I, I almost rather like comment on John 1, which is ridiculous because John 1 is like, you know, so intense. But I, I really wanted to do this as kind of an intro to the Sermon on the Mount. And um, it's not a elaborate theory, but um, yeah, there's the Beatitudes. So I'll see you in the next one.